Thank you, Chris, worship team, for uh, leading us to adore Christ today and uh, focusing our attention on Him. Um, we just finished up our sermon series on what is the church, and uh, we come to this, what I call a standalone sermon, because uh, I'm not doing other sermons, uh, I'm just doing this one. And so um, I was asking myself, well, what am I supposed to preach? What are we supposed to preach on now we're done with the church, so where do I go? And uh, an easy way to go is start thinking, well, what do I think we need to hear? Or what's God doing in my life? And, and really, uh, the hard part is I can come to the text with, a, with, a pre, um, with, already, with already thoughts or presuppositions to the text. And it's like, well, let's just, I'm going to come with this idea, and then now let's find a text to go around that. And that could be a dangerous thing instead of thinking... Let me go to the text and see what it has to say. And so a little bit, that's probably what I'm doing a little bit, is coming where God has been working and moving in my life. But if you ever want to know what a pastor is supposed to preach, uh, Ephesians 3.8 tells us exactly what they should preach. It says, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, we have to continually go over the gospel again and again and again and again, and as a church, we're called together to make disciples. Jesus was here on earth. He lived a perfect life. He, he died. He rose again from the grave, and before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to go uh, and make disciples, and then we're also called, and, and he's there to do that by proclaiming the gospel, and then we're also called to build one another up into maturity, so to make disciples and also mature disciples. And so that's why we're gathered here. A group of believers is to be built up and to grow in our faith, to be mature in our faith. And we do that in the same way by proclaiming the gospel. The gospel isn't just something that we graduate from once we're done, once we've believed. It's something that we continue to go over and over and over again because it sustains us. It keeps us. It builds us up and it makes us grow. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. That's where I'm going to start um, but let me ask you this question to begin with. And I've asked the youth this, so if you, youth, none of you guys give the answer to your parents. Um, although, I wonder if this is a, uh, if we all truly believe it. But the answer is, or the question is, if I were to ask you right now, okay, based on, okay, we know we're, we're, what you did last week, you guys know that. If I asked you right now, how does God feel about you? How is God feeling about you right now? The question, he does, he loves us. But a lot of us, and if you're like me, when, when you first think of that question, and that kind of that question really opened my mind up and my eyes to see the gospel even, even in a deeper way, because what happens is I start thinking of my performance. When, I, when, it, when it was asked, how does God feel about you? The first thing I thought of is how have, I, how have I been doing in my struggle with sin? Or how have I been doing with loving my wife? Or talking with my kids? Or um, ministering to the youth? So the first question that comes to our minds, and if you're like me, maybe you guys are that way too, is you, the first thing you look at when I asked you how does God feel about you, you first thought was, Oh man, don't ask me that question. He doesn't feel too good about me right now. 
And you're basing that on what you've done and not on what Christ has done. And that's the law. Gospel says that because of the beautiful exchange pictured, and we read about it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that on our behalf, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And over and over and over, you, you meditate on that verse and you think about it, you've got this beautiful picture of here I am, I'm in my sin, my performance is poor before God. Even just one time of sin, I have a bad record and a bad performance before the Lord, let alone all of last week. And, and sitting here before God, and how does he feel about me? He thinks that I'm perfect and spotless and blameless in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? He doesn't look at you any longer based on your sin and what you've done or what you've not done. He looks at you based on what Christ has done, the complete and finished work of Christ on the cross. And so therefore, when I ask you that question, if for those of us that have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, those of us that are uh, true followers, genuine believers of Jesus Christ, the answer in our minds, even though we don't feel like that, we should know, we should read God's word where it says, you are perfect and spotless and blameless. And Satan, his biggest tactic, what he wants to do is he wants to accuse you. He wants to accuse me that says, no, Dwight, you're not perfect and spotless and blameless because remember you screwed up. You yelled at these people or you, you were harsh or in your heart you felt this way. And, and the thing is, we always turn to our performance and Satan wants to point you to your performance, but that's not the gospel. That's not grace-driven life. That is a... Um, works-based. And so, so it's, it's key for us to always remind ourselves over and over, and youth, you'll know that I do this over and over, it's because it transforms the way we think. If you want to live a holy life, which we're called to, the motivation isn't our performance or isn't doing better. Let's just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. The motivation for living a holy life has to be the beautiful exchange, that it's no longer our righteousness that we see, that God sees, but it's His righteousness. And so therefore, we stand before God just as if we'd never sinned. We stand before God justified from our sin. Literally, Christ, what He did on the cross is He secured for us a a not guilty verdict instead of a guilty one. And so when God looks at you right now, based on what you've been doing this last week, how you've sinned this last week. Do you know that if you are in Christ, he says that you were perfect and spotless and blameless? Because it's no longer your righteousness that's being seen, but it's Christ. It's amazing to me, because I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and when you see and you ask your kids to do something, and the easiest one for me is the simple command of come here, and then they run and do something else, you know, Jesus never, when his parents said, come here, he never once hesitated to go to them or, well, uh, uh, I want to do this. He went right away. He was perfect obedience. And that's just mind-blowing to me to think about his perfect obedience. And so we're going to start there. We're going to think about the gospel in that way. But in order to do that, we have to have an accurate self-picture, uh, a self-awareness of where we are and what the problem is. Okay, so when I, when I say that it's not 
uh, God's not looking at our righteousness. He's looking at Christ. To even believe and to trust in the gospel and to live a gospel-centered life, you have to know that you have need for the gospel. You have to know that there is a problem. And so uh, we're going to start reading. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. Somebody thought when I put it on Facebook that we're just doing two verses. We're actually going to do all of the verses, 18 through 32. But I only have three points, and so it's not going to take um, the whole time. But let's start reading. I want to read this passage for you, 18, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. But we're really going to concentrate on verse 21. Starting in verse 18, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed... From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his, individu- uh, his indivis- indivisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they knew Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The biggest problem in our world, the biggest problem in our life is not moral failure. It's a failure to honor God. The biggest problem in our world, the biggest problem in our life is not moral failure. It's not just messing up that you can't do your devotions all the time or that you lust or that you uh, steal or that you lie. That's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that you fail to honor God. What does it mean to honor God? And this morning, what we're going to see in this passage, we're going to talk about three things. Um, Failure to honor God. We're going to talk about him in three ways. But as we do that, we're going to see 
uh, how we fail to honor God, and then obviously you can reverse that and see how would we honor God? How do we bring honor to God? How do we bring glory to God? You know that we're created to be worshipers. We're created to worship. We either worship God or we worship something else. And worshiping God is bringing honor to Him, and so we're going to see that here in just a second. But you don't have to be a believer to know that there's a problem in our world. The atheists, the agnostics, those who who believe other religions, everybody knows that there's something wrong with our world. Um, Whenever you see a school shooting or something like this, I saw um, the news report, and they're trying to figure out, okay, what is the motivation behind this? Why did that guy come into the classroom and, and, and slaughter and kill these students. Why does this happen? What, what was he thinking? What was his motivation? Was there a behavior problem? Was there this? Was there that? And let me tell you that those, those things play into it, but behavior is not the problem. There's a bigger problem. There's a root problem, and it's in our hearts. Again, with our four-year-old, if you guys don't have a four-year-old, you need to get one because... <laughs> It really helps you uh, with your spiritual life. And so, and understanding the gospel. So we have one. Uh, if you want to borrow him and, you know, just to practice up um, and just to, to hear the gospel over and over and just see it in your own life, uh, come babysit Titus, okay? Um, but Titus, we're talking about, and how do you explain to a four-year-old when he messes up that it's not your, it's not it's not the, the problem isn't that you didn't come here when I said, or that you talked disrespectfully to your mother, or that you lied. That's not the problem. The problem is that you have a dirty heart. And so I'm telling him, it's not, it's not your behavior that's the issue, it's your heart that has the problem. And, and, and explaining that to him and talking about him, we, you know, you give your child a bath and you're like, Jesus cleans you on the, our, our water will wash you on the outside, but who's going to clean you on the inside? Jesus, you know, he gives us the good Sunday school answer, you know. But then he asked me the question that just kind of was why I kind of maybe landed on this text. He, he asked the question, well, how did I get a dirty heart? How do, how do I get a dirty heart? And, and the question is, for all of us, in light of where we are with our relationship with Christ, if you're beginning that journey or you've been on that journey for a while, we always have to go back over and over is how did we get here? What is the problem and what is the solution? We're never going to grasp and hold on to the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ and, and cherish him if we don't know that we have a need for him. And so when Titus asked me that question, uh, it just kind of blew my mind. How did I get a dirty heart? And then this text here in Romans gives us a good picture of that. The biggest problem in our lives is not moral failure. It's failure to honor God. Look at verse 21. Romans 1, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they knew God, they knew who He was, they knew that there was a God, although they knew Him, they did not worship Him. They did not bring glory to Him. They did not honor Him as God. The biggest problem in our world, the biggest problem in your life and in my life is that we fail to honor God. And in this text, we see three different ways in which we fail to honor God. First, we fail to honor God 
in choosing his creation over him. We fail to honor God in choosing his creation over him. Look at verse 22 and 23. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the glory of God for his stuff. What this is saying is, God, I, I don't want you, but I want the stuff that you made. God, I, I don't want a relationship with you, but please give me some of the things that you've created. I'll worship those instead. We see, uh, we have some, you remember when you were a kid, um, when one, one of the kids, one of your friends, one of your neighbors had the best toys, and you really wanted to play with their toys, you didn't really want to play with them, you just wanted to play with their stuff, right? I remember that, and we have some neighbors now that's kind of that way, they're like, hey, can we play with your football? I was like, hey, you want to throw around with us? No. You know, and so it's like this, you know, we want we want God stuff and the things he created, but we want to enjoy those, but we don't want to enjoy him in those. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? We're exchanging the worship of God for his stuff. We want what he has, and we don't want him. We do this all the time. Think about things that you love and things that you enjoy. How many of you uh, would uh, l- love to go to the mountains? Mountains people mountain people how many of you are beach people you like to go to the beach and we love and we want to go to the beach and we want to sit there we want to go to the mountains and we want to look at all this this the things around us and we're like man this is so great i love being here and this is this is perfect and then at the same time we're we're kind of separated or we're removed from god and we're just like man take me to the mountains take me to the beaches then i can worship god and it's it's i want this and not necessarily God. Or one for me is food. How many of you love fajitas? Okay? I love fajitas. How many of you are hungry now? Okay? Love fajitas, but the thing is, none of those things, everything God has created has not been, hasn't been made so that we just, our, our, um, our affections just terminate on those things. Meaning, we don't just stop and be like, man, fajitas are the best thing in the whole world. But that our affections would turn and say, I want to worship whoever created this idea of putting this kind of stuff together. Whoever made beef, I want to worship him. I love it. Okay, but it's not meant to just stop there. It's always meant to turn back to God. Does that make sense? Whatever it is you like, whether it's sports or whatever it might be, it's not supposed to terminate there. It's supposed to turn us back to God. We don't want to, we fail to honor God when we choose his creation, the things that he's made over him. Does that make sense? And we do it all the time. In subtle ways, we do it all the time. But thankfully, there's grace for this, for us failing to honor God and choosing his creation over him. Second way that this scripture talks about our failure to honor God is we fail to honor him by believing a lie over the truth. By believing a lie over the truth. Look at verse 24 through 25. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What this is saying, the lie is, I'm smarter than you, God. 
I know better for my life than you do. I can handle this on my own. Um, I can be in this situation and not give in to sin. I can live with, you know, someone who's not my spouse, and it'll be okay because it's not, it's not um, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. God, I know that I can handle this. And it's out, I know it's outside of your design, but I think I'm a little bit smarter and I can do this. We do this all the time as well. We believe a lie rather than the truth. And that's why the Bible tells us to meditate on God's Word over and over and over and don't move to the left or don't move to the right. We stay centered on His Word because God knows our hearts and He knows our hearts are prone to wonder and to leave and to believe a lie. It's not just that the devil made me do it. It's that you want to do it. The devil tempts you into doing it. Yes, we know that. He's a great deceiver. That's why the Bible talks about Satan being a liar. But it's not just because Satan lies to you. It's because you want to believe the lie. Your hearts are prone to believe a lie rather than the truth. And that is how we fail to honor God. We believe a lie instead of believing the truth. But in order for sin to do its evil work, in order for sin to lie to us, it has to present itself as something other than sin. Anything else other than evil. Some of the examples that I have were impatient yelling wears the costume of zeal for the truth lust can masquerade as love for beauty gossip does its evil work by living in the costume of concern and prayer the fear of man gets dressed up as a servant's heart the pride of always being right masquerades as a love for biblical wisdom Sin is putting on a mask because it doesn't want us to know that it's evil. It presents itself as the angel of light, right? And then yet, we believe the lie, and we want to follow that. And then when we do, we fail to honor God. And so it's not our moral failures that are the problem. It's not that we just lust, or that we lie, or whatever it might be that you, that you mess up on. It's not, it's not the problem. That's the symptom. The problem always has to be directed back to our hearts. And our heart issue is that we fail to honor God. We don't worship Him. And so we fail to honor God in choosing His creation over Him. And we fail to honor God in believing a lie over the truth. But thankfully, there's grace for this as well. The last... We fail to honor God by not acknowledging Him. We fail to honor God by not acknowledging Him. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. We fail to honor God by not acknowledging Him. We take credit for things that we didn't do. We take credit and we, we pour it on ourselves. We don't even give any thought to or to acknowledge God. We ascribe glory um, not to God who deserves it, but to, to ourselves or to others or to His things. Think about um, 
when you watch the NBA and you see this, you see this 6'10 guy run down the court and he dunks the basketball and then he dances around like, ooh, look at me, I'm so great, look what I just did. And he's like, ooh, this is amazing. I'm thinking, God, it would be amazing if you couldn't dunk the basketball. You know, and God, you're the one that created him. Yes, he's athletic. Yes, they, he can do some great things there. But God, he didn't become athletic on his own. God gave that to him. You're not 6'10 on your own. God made him that tall. And so we, we take credit all the time for things that God should be getting the credit. We should be acknowledging him. And we fail to do that. We fail to honor him when we don't acknowledge him. You know, a lot of times, what I'm, what I'm afraid of is, and maybe you're like me too, is with our family. I just don't, don't want to just acknowledge God at, before meals. God, thank you for this food. We want to acknowledge him all the time. And thank you for the heat. How many of us are thankful for heat? You know what I mean? It's, it's cold outside, and so we're thankful for heat. And, and we need to understand that we didn't, everything that we have is from God. God is the one behind everything, and we need to turn our affections towards him and not towards ourselves. We need to give credit to him and not to ourselves. And thankfully, there is grace for this as well. By, by God's grace, we can be saved from this. In verse 21, again, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul Tripp, um, writer and speaker, writes uh, in a book called Whiter Than Snow. Uh, it's a meditation on Psalm 51. And if you remember, Psalm 51 is uh, the psalm of David after he became aware of his sin. And, and he knew um, that he had sinned with Bathsheba, that he committed murder and adultery. And this is what, that was, that's the, the gist of the psalm. That's what the psalm's about. But David, Paul Tripp, writes this. He says, In those painful moments of accurate self-insight, we may not feel as if we are being loved, but that is exactly what is happening. God, who loves us enough to sacrifice His Son for our redemption, works so that we would see ourselves clearly, so that we would not... Um, be under the delusion of our own righteousness, and so that with a humble sense of personal need, we would seek the resources of grace that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Accurate self-awareness. This passage here in Romans 1, what Paul is doing is helping us to be self-aware. He says, look at who we are. He says, verse 18, for the wrath of God is being revealed. When you think about the wrath of God, you've got this perfect picture in the story of um, Noah's Ark. And if you learned it as a kid, you see, oh, the animals are all on the ark, it's floating, you know, all of those things. It's fun, right? It's a good story. But that wasn't a beautiful picture. That wasn't a beautiful picture at all. You've got people on the outside banging on, the, banging on it, trying to get in. Okay, there is this there's this picture of judgment and wrath being poured out on the world. And it's not a beautiful picture. But in this, what we see is God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness 
God is gracious to us in that he allows us to see a need for his sin. That is, that's of grace. You wouldn't even be able to be self-aware if it wasn't for him allowing you to see that. That's the reason why we study the law. It's so that it points to our condition, the human condition, our need for a Savior. How did you get a dirty heart? You got a dirty heart because we failed to honor God. That's the problem. That's the root problem. Don't look to the symptoms of, well, I just messed up. I just messed up in this area. I failed to meet his standard in this area. No, you desperately need him because you failed to honor him. And you do it over and over and over and over again. And there's grace upon grace upon grace for that. And it only comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We need him. Until, you, until you're self-aware of, of where we are and you understand the, the human problem, you understand your condition, then you're going to keep trying. And you're going to keep trying. And you're going to keep trying to do better and to do better. I continue to lust. Now, I can, I can do this. I can, put that, I can put that aside. I can stop doing that. I continue to gossip and lie. Well, I can, I, can make my, I can pull myself up and I can stop doing that. The thing is, you can't. You can't. And so we need Jesus Christ over and over again. We must preach this to ourselves. The biggest problem in our life is not moral failure. It's a failure to honor God. But thankfully, He gives us grace. And this grace is in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you want to live a gospel-centered life, you want to have your life revolved around the message of the gospel, our motivation for, for living a holy life doesn't come from how we behave. It comes from how Christ behaved. And when we see that and we recognize that, that, that we're trusting in Jesus' finished work, His perfect life, His um, death on the cross, and His resurrection, we put our hope and trust in that. That's what gives us the motivation to stop lusting or to stop sinning or whatever it might be. It's not how much I can try. It's continually going back, continually going back to that. God, I failed to honor you, but Jesus, you did it. You are the better Adam. You, you did what I couldn't do. And I'm going to put my hope in you that you will secure for me a not guilty verdict before Creator God. That's the gospel message. So, let's view ourselves in light of what Scripture says about us. What is our root problem? It's that we fail to honor God. We fail to honor Him by choosing His creation over Him, by believing a lie over the truth, and by not acknowledging God. So if we want to honor God, choose Him over His stuff. You want to honor God? Stay grounded and rooted in His Word and be set free by the truth. And don't believe the lie. Do, help each other with that. Okay? If you want to honor God, acknowledge Him in all things. We fail to honor God. And that is our major problem. That's how we get a dirty heart. And so what do you do with that? If you fail to honor God, the Bible calls us to repent and believe in the gospel. So repent and believe in Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for this day, Lord.
thank you for um, your word who, uh, which gives us an accurate picture of, of the real issue, the problem with our world, the problem with evil, the problem with us. God, I pray, um, just as I pray for my son Titus, that, Lord, that you would help us to understand why our heart is dirty so that we would know that no amount of effort, no amount of moral uh, correctness or behavior would ever change that. But only trusting in you, Jesus, would we become righteous in your sight, God. Only trusting and believing in the one who was perfect and spotless and blameless do we there have that righteousness. So God, I pray that if there's anyone in here this morning who's never put their hope, their trust in you, who believed in, in this, this gospel message, God, would you show us our need for you? Uh, would you allow them, Lord, to come to you? Would you give them grace? Father, I pray that you would remove hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh, that you would cause us to walk in your ways. Lord, it's all about you and uh, your gospel, and so we trust in that today. Thank you for your grace that keeps, uh, that, you, that you give to us in spite of our failing to honor you. In your name, amen. Thanks, Jared.